Hey, good morning, Grace. I'm glad you guys could join us. If you're uh, turning into your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10, another one of the moments that the day the universe changed. Um, before we get there, I wanted to let you know that if you saw the van on the side of the, the U-Haul on the side of the church coming up, that's, that thing's going to be loaded with over 2,000 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And great job, Grace. And, and then also, if one of you guys had a four-wheel drive truck and a, and a, and a tow line, it, it's actually stuck back there in the mud. And so you can show your wife why you need four-wheel drive. I told you, honey, it's for those babies in Ethiopia. They need this. So that's why we have four-wheel. Actually, it does. So you could talk to somebody back at the Operation Christmas Trial and get that truck out of there. That would be helpful um, to get those on the plane. Uh, end of year giving's coming up. If you guys could consider Grace Covenant Church the first thing on your list of, of places to give because we're doing a great job of doing what God has called us to do. And our December giving makes all things possible throughout the year. So please continue to give generously and, and make Grace that place to give at the end of the year. Uh, and we'll see what... Oh, yeah, yeah. And so since the last little announcement I have before we go into learning is that we're going to try to keep our masks on even in the courtyard unless you're eating or drinking because of the hospital you know, rates are going up. The people in the hospitals are going up. So we're going to ref, uh, reflect new kind of levels of safety for that. So let's do that. Okay. Uh, let me pray and then we'll get, we'll get going here. This is a great passage. Lord, when we lift up our hearts and minds to you, I'd ask that you would speak to us as you spoke to Peter. Your spirit lives within the, the lives of every believer. And we, if we choose, we can hear you. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you'd speak to us about how maybe this passage could relate to our own lives right here, right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are, you know what? I don't know if you got this, but we're almost there. We, we've been going through the Bible in 2020, started in January, and we've been going through getting the big picture of the Bible. And we only have one week left. Next week, we're going to do Revelation. So almost there. So congratulations on that. I hope the experience has been encouraging to you to learn about the nature of God and hopefully this one attribute for sure that he is sovereign, that God has a plan and the power to make it happen and we can rest in that sovereignty. And, and also I, I hope that you've learned a sense of destiny about your own life, that for such a time as this, everyone lives for such a time as this. God could have put you anywhere at any time in any place and he chose to put you here. Seize the day. Seize that day. And if you remember, let me show you how this, this big picture of God's salvation works. This we were selling in January. And it's this beautiful chart about how God works. And God has always brought salvation to man through one means. It is always by grace alone, through faith alone. But the medium of communicating that grace through faith has changed over time, and it is, it's gotten more clear and progressive. And if you looked at that chart that we based a lot of our slides on and the big picture, because it's so wonderfully made, we saw at the beginning of God's salvation history, it started with one holy couple through the covenant with Adam, and then one holy family, the, couple, the covenant with Noah, one holy tribe, the Abrahamic covenant. Very detailed. And then it continues to one holy nation, the Mosaic Covenant, then one holy kingdom with David. And now we're at this place right here and right now, and that is one holy church, the New Covenant, or as some people call it, the Grace Covenant. Could someone please name a church Grace Covenant? <laughs> someone, anywhere. 
Yeah, by the way, that's how our church got named 50 years ago. We did a survey of these covenants. We taught it all over the city of Austin. And then when it was time to like, pick a name for a church, it was like, how about the Grace Covenant? Yes, this is the new dispensation, a new era, a different, same message, different delivery system. The church is the instrument of God's message of salvation, the church. She's called the Bride of Christ because she is loved by the groom and she bears his name. She's called the church, the body of Christ, because the church does the work of the king. It's the instrument. And now the spiritual connection we have in this era, in this dispensation, all believers at all times, in all places, in all races, we have this in common, the the same Savior and the same purpose. And because those are so valuable, all the other things are incidental and become fun and enjoyable. All the differences are enjoyed. They don't work against us, they work for us. Today we're going to look at the radical change that takes place in the history of humanity. It's kind of the day the universe changes, and God has to make sure everybody understands that things have changed. And so he's going to, he's going to make sure that we understand the new covenant, the grace covenant is now in effect. And so the way he's going to do that is he's going to have a supernatural event take place in the exact same way for three different people groups. So at the end of the day, the people in leadership at the church, they go, oh, wait a minute, I see all three of these people groups are equal in the eyes of God. We're in a whole new world. This is the eternal plan of salvation. I'll show you as it goes on. And this is the eternal plan of salvation. The outline in like how the church is supposed to work when it got started the outline for the concentric circles of how to get the gospel the word out to different people groups, different types of people, is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Some of the last words of Jesus. Right? He says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and when it comes upon you, you will be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and then Samaria and the end of the earth. Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the outline for how the church was supposed to get this thing started. So in Acts chapters 1 through, what, 7, you're going to see the, the church get birthed in, uh, in Jerusalem, all Jews, at a feast, a Jewish feast that's going to be known for now the church called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, the, the Jews heard the gospel, the story of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And then, watch, the Spirit came upon them. And then they spoke in tongues. And then they praised God. That was evidence that God was up to something new. Well, uh, opposition uh, followed that. And there was persecution in the church. Uh, Stephen was martyred. And because of that martyrdom, people scattered. And in their scattering, they went to the places outside that circle, they left Jerusalem and Judea. They went to Samaria, and they brought the gospel to Samaria, and the Samaritan Jews heard that gospel, and then the Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues, and they worshiped God, those Jewish believers. Now, here we are. In Acts chapters 10 and 11, it happens again. The persecution continues, and so does the scattering. And now it's about 40 A.D., it's 10 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And and we find ourselves in a whole different kind of way of looking at life. The lead character in this story is a man named um, Peter. And he's he's the lead because he's going to change the most. He's currently living in a little town, seaport town called Joppa. 
It's about 30 miles south of a capital city called Caesarea, where we meet our second major character, and his name is Cornelius. And Cornelius and Peter are separated by a lot more than just 30 miles. They're completely different cultures. And, and Peter has been taught through oral tradition, not the Bible, but through oral tradition, to, to look at Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, as somebody to be avoided for sure, and some would say even an enemy. And, and what I want us to look at in this passage, why I love this passage in many ways, is because this passage is going to show us how God works, like in the gospel, how God changes people, how, how, the, how, how God works. Actually, it's a template for how God worked in the Old Testament. It's how he's working in this story. It's how he works in our life right now. I want you to listen and then learn, and by looking for this in your own life, he's gonna, God's going to go ahead and, and work in people's hearts, in the messenger's heart and the recipient's heart, and he's going to do that through prayer. I want you to see how the, the power of prayer shows itself off in miraculous changes of life, and then I want you to see one of being in God's will, the abundant life of being in God's will, and I guess the in, some, in many respects, the bigger point, like the, the theology of this, is that God's doing all of the hard work. I mean, it is so hard to change a life. You can't change someone else's life. It is hard enough to even be involved in changing your own life. And this story is about God doing the real work. And then we're responding to that. And God's going to show the world that we're in a new covenant, a grace covenant, by these miraculous expressions of people following the way God has been leading them in prayer, okay? All right, part one, like, I don't know, scene one, whatever, okay? Like, the audience and the messenger are being prepared by God ahead of time, and they're doing that through prayer. In the Bible, you'll see that whenever something big is about to take place and radical change is going to take place in people's lives, God is working on both the messenger and the recipient, the audience, the messenger and the audience. You look at the life of Moses, I mean, he spends 40 years in Pharaoh's being trained at all the great academies, and then 40 years, and then he spends 40 years in the desert, like being a shepherd. All the while, Israel is increasing in their burden of being Egyptian slaves. And so while Moses is being prepared, Israel's being prepared, the messenger shows up to the audience and says, hey, God wants me to lead you out of here. And they go, we can't wait to leave. Let's get out of here. How do, we, how do we leave? And so all of those years of preparation for Moses, he has an audience with the Pharaoh and knows how to talk that language. And then he ends up with, you know, with three million of his fellow Jews in, in the desert where he used to be a shepherd. The audience was being prepared. The messenger was being prepared. So again, we just need to relax. God's doing the heavy lifting. He's doing the hard work. He's doing it in their lives, and he's doing it in our lives if we are listening with a humble heart. So here's how it looks. The preparation of the heart of the audience. It's a Gentile named Cornelius. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, um, and uh, Cornelius was there, uh, Cornelius there was, uh, sorry, in 
Caesarea. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in, the, in what was known as an Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those who were in need and prayed to God regularly. All right, centurion, that means he is an officer in the military and overseeing 100 men. He's from Rome, like Italy. He's from the Italian cohort, right? And most Romans, all of them, military or not, were polytheists. That means they, they worshiped multiple gods, but not this one. Cornelius, it says, is worshiping one true God, Yahweh. Doesn't know it, but he just knows there has to be just this one God. And he's showing that, not just in thoughts, but in his words and his deeds, it says. And he prayed regularly. He's regularly a devout person. Cornelius is doing everything he possibly can to find truth at whatever it costs. Okay? But it's not enough. It's not enough. But he's praying regularly, and God's going to meet him in that place. In verse 3, I'll just read it. He says, one day, about 3 in the afternoon, he, he had a vision during his prayer time. He, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And he said, well, what is it, Lord? And he said, he said your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God himself. And now, send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon. They're going to call him Peter. And he's staying with a man named Simon the Tanner, whose house is right there by the, by, the, by the ocean. And when the angel spoke to him, suddenly he was gone. And Cornelius called two of his servants and one of his devout soldiers uh, as one of the attendants. And he told them everything that had just happened to him and sent them to Joppa. Right. This officer hears from God and says, here's what you need to do. Go get people to get Peter and bring him back here. And he's a military man, so he does what he's told right away. Cornelius is doing everything he possibly can do to know the Lord, but it's not enough. God's doing his part. Cornelius is doing his part, but guess what? God needs a messenger. And let me just say, it's a small need. He doesn't need need, but he, he's requiring a messenger here. And the reason is, I'll tell you, it's is so that we can be part of God's will, so we can be part of that witnessing process, so we can be involved in what God's doing in, in people's lives and in, in the world, part of this salvation history in this chart. We get to play our part. So God's saying, look, this is, you know, I can lead a horse to water, but i got to have somebody show them how to drink it. Part two is preparing the heart of the messenger. That happens through prayer two. This is a Jew named Peter. Here's his story. About noon the following day, as they were, so these three men are up on their way to see Peter. He says, on the third day when they were, uh, on, on the following day when they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And because he was hungry, he, he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared downstairs, he fell into a trance. And listen, he saw heaven open up and something like a large sheet was coming down. It's being held up by all four corners. And on it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice, he heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat it. And the idea here is, is that there, there, is, there are dietary laws found in Leviticus, and some animals were, quote, clean and unclean. Some were common, some were sacred, set apart for special purposes. And so I think you, we, we know enough about the Jewish culture and religion to know, like, for example, pork. Right? And, and shellfish, 
like pig, were unclean, those sorts of things. So on this sheet, it included not just the clean, but the unclean animals as well. And he hears a voice from, from the Lord and says, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter, not being a soldier, <laughs> and being Peter, he says this, he says, surely not, Lord, because I have never eaten anything that was impure or unclean. Okay, okay, so here's what we'll do. We'll do it, we'll say it again. And so, so this is great. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter denied it again. And so it says, for the third time, Peter hears, get up, kill, and eat. And so Peter's getting the message eventually. But it's in his prayers that he's starting to learn. And it's in the context of this, this, this vision is happening to him. And then, and then he's perplexed about what exactly it means. And then, and then, and then the men from Caesarea are at the foot of the house. And they're screaming up to the roof going, is there someone here named Peter? I mean, it could be Simon, could be Peter, because we're here, God sent us. And then, and then Peter hears this from the Lord. He says, and then the Spirit told Peter to go downstairs off the flat roof. And he says, do not hesitate to go with them. I have sent them for you. And they tell him about the centurion, Cornelius. And I bet his first thoughts are Roman, pagan, maybe even enemy. And they continue to describe this man. And he is pursuing the one known God. And has an angel visit him. And Peter's realizing God's working in his life. Just like he's working in Cornelius' life. God is working. This is a God thing. And there are God things all around us. God, <laughs> Peter, whatever Peter's prohibitions were, they were outruled by just the circumstantial facts that this is a God thing happening right in front of him. His prejudices are overruled by the fact that a, a vision came to Cornelius, a, you know, a non-Jew, and told him very specifically to go to Joppa by and find this man named Simon or Peter. That an angel uh, appeared to, to Peter himself and gave him this vision about clean and unclean, and it doesn't matter anymore. He, he finds out about Cornelius is a God-fearing man that's seeking God. And then the Spirit of God says to Peter, go downstairs and go with these guys and do whatever they say to do. So what I like about the story, I mean, there's, there's fun to be had with Peter debating with God all the time, calling him Lord, right? No, Lord. You can't say no, Lord. He's Lord, then you say yes. But what I love about Peter here is he has, he has a lifetime of, of cultural training with biases and he has generations of that same bias built into him, nurture and nature, right? But he transcended the things that were uncomfortable so he could do the ministry of the gospel because, because the ministry of the gospel was more important than his comfort. Can I say that again? Here's the radical change that takes place in this believer's life, that he was able to transcend those things that were uncomfortable to him for the sake of the gospel, because the gospel was more important than the things that, were make, that, that, that caused him comfort. He had preferences, bias, prejudices, 
but they don't matter compared to the power of the gospel, the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's how it happens. This is how ministry works. This is how God works. God's doing his part in the lives of the people and, and all over the world, like I would say, in your world right now, in my world right now. He's going before us and he's talking to people ahead of time and he sends his messengers. And now that we live in the church age, every believer is a minister. We are all priests. And as priests, we go and we speak to them because God has chosen this. With the exception of miracles, okay, God has chosen this. He will soften the heart of people. He will salt their souls to cause them to want to hunger and to thirst for this righteousness and this truth. But he still sends messengers. He still sends his saints. Every believer is a minister. Why? So that we can get a shot at playing a part in God's great redemptive story. We, like this is, this is all around us. If we would just like be like tuned into God's will and have the courage to do God's will, just like put me in coach, I'm ready to play, then we get to be in this. This is the abundant life. Jesus promised the abundant life. The abundant life is being surrendered to the will of God and being f- like flowing in his jet stream doing what he tells us to do, being part of what God wants us to do and sending people out to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why, you know, here at Grace, we start, well, we start helping the kids in fourth and fifth grade learning how to just serve each other and, and, and serve each other in the context of teaching in our elementary school. But in junior high, our junior high ministry takes the, those junior high students on mission trips over spring break, uh, the high school ministry goes on mission trips at spring break, sometimes in the summertime. Our college students sometimes will take a trip in missions. Our adults are involved in missions. And so much of it has to do with just, just being willing to follow God's will and finding out about just the, the plethora of opportunities that are out there. It's why we spend $400,000 a year in, in global missions. It's why we, people, we send people across town or across the world, and God is sending you Probably across the street. Just, he's preparing. It's the power of prayer is the storyline here. Is a believer's life is changed because he's tenderhearted towards God, and this non-believer's life is changed because he's following, he's following the truth. Here, look, look how ministry uh, towards the seeker. Through prayer, God, and every, every non-believer is a prayer. Okay? If they're seeking God, they pray somehow. They sometimes just look into the sky and say, I don't know who I'm talking to, but. And they, they want help. God does his part in bringing people to the place of the realization they can't win. They can't do this. It's not working anymore. And, and, and in the context of that prayer and desperation, God's, God lets them know there's so much more. And it's way more personal than the big guy in the sky. And while they're wondering... There has to be more than this. It has to be more intimate than this. God is working in the heart of those who are the messengers, the witnesses. And here's what, here's what I love about Peter is this lifetime of, of teaching. He has this lifetime of teaching of what it means to be Jewish and how to be separate and different than the culture. He spends three years with Jesus. And he still, Peter still has the value after three years with Jesus, just spending 24 hours a day with him, that he, Peter still has, you know, 
and us and them value. It is through prayer that unlocks the heart of Peter to realize, wait a minute, God is up to something new. And, and I think the key in, in Peter's life, to, so we, maybe we could learn this about our prayer life, is Peter kind of, I know he takes him three times, but God's patient, right? Ultimately, though, his, his heart is open. Peter's like, I, I got to change. I, I mean, it's not, he's not going to God in his prayer going, here's my list of things to do. Here's some errands for you to run, God. If you could help me with this or that, that'd be great. Or even the other way around, God, what's, you know, what's your five things that I need to do? It's not that kind of a relationship. It is a communal relationship where Peter is like his heart is open to whatever God might do. And I feel like that's the, that's the attitude that we need to have in our prayer life. Whatever thy will be done. And having a listening ear towards that. I mean, especially today, I think especially today when things are so, like here's an example in my own life, like when things are so polarized in our families and in our churches, and it's, it's pretty easy to, to talk to the Lord in a tender way about the injury that you've suffered, about the hurt, about the depth of sorrow, whatever, that's good. There needs to be a part in there where it's like, okay, and then here's what I did. Here's my part in that, in that conversation. And, and, Lord, maybe you could teach me how to think like they're thinking. Maybe you could open my mind up to, to what has brought them to these conclusions. Maybe it's not us and them. Maybe it's we and your spirit is going to have to change my stubborn heart to make that work. I mean, I had, I mean, I had, to, I had, I had this is my experience last week where I just, I, it took me two days to do it, like kind of Peter, but I, I had to pick up the phone and call someone and say, this is my fault. I used words that were wrong, and I was, I'm, this is my, I'm sorry. I'm not making things better. And I knew that was from, the, from God. I knew it was God's spirit, because here's how, at least some ways, I know God's spirit's talking to me. When he tells me to do something I don't want to do, and it's usually apologizing and humiliating myself. Okay, that's not my voice talking to me. <laughs> I mean, is that just me? Okay, all right. Prayer is a conversation, and it's about submitting and here's the thing, it's, it, there is a discipline to this. It is a tenderness to hear God so you can hear that still small voice when he calls you to talk to some Cornelius in your life that he's prepared ahead of time. But, but you are a disciple of whose ever voice is in your head. You're a disciple of whosoever voice is, is talking in your head. It could be you. It could be the worst you. It could be people in media. It could be parents. I don't, but listen, if we're regularly involved in Bible reading to know the author, and we're regularly involved in the discipline of prayer, then we can hear the Spirit of God speak to us. Man, that's a lesson for me today, right now. That kind of relationship with God that he could change the heart of someone like Peter. He could change the heart of someone like me. The story continues. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius has packed the place with family and friends, okay? And this is just me trying to teach. I mean, this is just me being a preacher, but this is, this is Peter's lead. This is his introduction, okay? I, wow, okay, this is, a, this is how God uses anyone, okay? While talking with him... 
Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, listen to his first words, you're well aware that it is against our law, the oral law, it is against our oral law for a Jew to associate or visit with Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. <laughs> or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. There's Mrs. Cornelius over here saying, what'd you just call our house? Impure, unclean? You know, anyway, so everybody was being nice. This, I mean, again, I just look at Peter going, oh, wow, that's your first sentence. Your first sentence in a room full of Gentiles. You know, God, you know, I'm not even supposed to be here because you guys are unclean and pure and all that stuff. But, hey, I rose above that. So <laughs> this, that's the miracle of this story. They're still listening to him. So, and, and in some respects, Peter's confessing his previous bias and and. Uh, prejudices. So Cornelius tells his story about the angel and, and he finishes with this. And, 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 and now we're here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded for you to tell us. And that's when Peter has this epiphany. Wow, wait a minute. I'm seeing the culmination of all salvation history come to its fruition right here. And then Peter began a speech saying, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's been that way all along. Peter sees it now. The promise to Abraham was that, that, the, that Abraham would have a seed and that seed would be a blessing to all nations. I get it now. Jesus was that seed. These are all the nations. Let's go. And then Peter just simply tells the, the story of the life of Jesus. His his evangelism method is not complicated. It just tells the story of the ministry of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and then the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection three days later. And, and he says, Peter says this, and we were all, these that I'm with, we were witnesses to that resurrection. I just, I just stopped to say, I love how rational and logical and, and, and reasonable he's presenting the truth of the gospel. I saw these things, they are true. And here's how he concludes the gospels in a sentence, verse 43. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then, and then. Here it is. While, G, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon them who heard this message. The, the, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. And they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Boom. You see it? You see it? It's Pentecost again, again. But now, even with Gentiles... God's making it very clear that he's in a whole new dispensation, a new era. You don't have to be part of Israel anymore. These guys get this, this spiritual experience without being baptized even and without being Jewish for sure. And, and so th this is proving God's point everywhere all the time. And so Peter just says, surely no one can stand in the way of these people being baptized with water. And they, they, they received the Holy Spirit just at, because they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then, and then they asked Peter to stay with him a few days. <laughs> but look at the change in this man, Peter. Cornelius, he's born again. Peter, I think he's been born again again. He stays with Cornelius. 
That's a pretty radical shift from, I don't, let's say he's 40 years old and he's got all this culture. Not only does he go there and present the gospel, he doesn't like leave quickly because he could get cooties. He's like, let's go. How about some of that bacon-wrapped shrimp I've been hearing about? Let's, how much of that can we eat in one day? Look at the radical. These are miracles. Listen, when God parts a Red Sea, it's like big deal. You know, nature does what she's told. But look at these changes. These are miracles. Peter's life was miraculously changed. So was Cornelius's. And God did the heavy lifting. It was a God thing. God did this in these people's lives. But they responded. Cornelius had as much as he could get without a witness. And so God prepared a witness and sent him to him. That's how it works. This is the era of the church. This is the dispensation of the bride. This is the grace covenant time to be alive. And, and it's, it, it's a fulfillment of, of the truth that is found in Genesis chapter 2 that we're all precious in the eyes of God. Paul put it like this, the era of the church. And so, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who have been baptized into Christ are clothed now yourself in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you're part of Abraham's seed, all heirs according to the promise. In this era, there should be no bias, no preference, no tradition that's greater than truths in the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. And, and that, that just, that principle alone is that's where churches lose their purpose. They, they, they get a mission drift because they almost go some way of tradition. They don't, it, don't, it happens to most churches. It almost happened here. I mean, we were, we had a lot of momentum going one way and we were going to kind of like, we're holding on to some old traditions. And then one of our leaders stood up, he sits right over there and he said this, I will, never vote, I will never vote for anything that keeps people from coming to Grace Covenant Church to hear the gospel proclaimed and the Bible taught. And everyone was like, right, right. No tradition, no bias, no preference, no prejudice is more important than this thing. That's what's important. And it changed our church. That's why we're still here today. I'll bet Peter and these friends that went to Caesarea, I'll bet they told that story till the day they died. It was the day the universe changed, and they were part of it. You know, when you're part of a God thing, and you're part of God's story, you'll, you'll rearrange your values to stay in that place. And one of the reasons we send junior high students to some places that might be uncomfortable is so that they realize the power of the gospel and the being the messenger is more important than their personal comfort. Everyone wants to be part of the God story. That's what the abundant life is. And <laughs> here's, here's kind of the fork in the road for us. It's, it's true with churches. It's true with people. It's true with individuals. You go with where God is moving or you get left behind. You go with where God is moving or you get left behind. And in the immediate context of things, I mean, it's happened in my life. I was not a believer at the time, but I just watched it happen. 
in the late 60s, there was this bunch of hippies running around our country looking like hippies. And then there was this Jesus movement that got going, okay? And the Jesus movement uh, kind of like attacked the hippies. They invaded the hippie life, and then you had these Jesus hippies. And it was like, man, they really, they heard the gospel, and they wanted to go to church, and a lot of the churches were like, yeah, unclean. Actually, they were unclean. They were literally un, unbathed, you know. But so but the bigger point was is like the guys had too long a hair or whatever it might have been. The churches say we have a tradition to uphold, and they missed the moment. There was a seize-the-day moment in the late 60s where people could take advantage of what God was doing. It was clearly a God movement. And since many denominations and churches didn't do that, the Jesus movement hippies, some churches got started just like right there, like Calvary Chapel. If you know the story of Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Man, that was a movement because other churches weren't responding. A lot of churches were getting started in the late 60s. This church got started in the late 60s because people just weren't fitting in the old way. I'm thinking right now, honestly, I'm thinking right now, there's, there's going to be significant consequences to this 11 months and counting pandemic. There's going to be consequences for that. The isolation we're experiencing, the lack of the ability to like really enjoy the fullness of grief, all kinds of consequences. And I think, I think the church might be in for something new. And here's, here's what I'm asking grace to do. Let's get in shape. Let's get in spiritual shape. Let's get our, let's get our prayer lives to be intimate, not lists of do's and to-do's. Let's have an intimate relationship with God. Let's know our word, the Bible. Let's know his voice. So when he speaks to us in a still, quiet voice, we can hear that. Let's be courageous. Let's be willing to be dangerous, to do something we don't want to do because the gospel is more important than our comfort. Let's be ready for that. We, 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 it's easy to be like right now, me and mine. Let's lift our heads up and see what's out there. I mean, I heard story this week in staff meeting, and it was just fun. One of the people um, that serves our church, just like their family was like, let's serve our neighbors. And they bought a, 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 one of those inflatable big screens and then a projector, and they have movie nights for their neighbors. Everybody's safe. It's an outdoor movie, and they're becoming like the neighborhood place to go. They have outdoor events where they're commuting and getting in touch with each other that, so they don't lose that. Pray, have a, have a relationship with God where you just you pray and you're open to whatever he might say. And it might mean just pick up the phone. Just pick up the phone. There's no danger in that. Speak God's message. Be encouraging to the people that he's brought to your mind. We'll pray for that in just a minute. But the, this first generation of people in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says, and the apostles turned the world upside down with the gospel. And here's why. Because they, because they could hear God's voice and they had the courage to do whatever he said to do. That's still, still available right here, right now. The abundant life is right there. And the abundant life is radical obedience. There's nothing God will not do to bring a love of Christ into people's lives. He who did not spare his own son and freely gave him up for us, what won't he do?
You want to be part of God's plan. You want to be part of, part of God's story. Look at that chart. We get to be in one of the easiest parts. <laughs> Grace, let's play our part. Let's get in shape. Let's do things courageous, okay? Let's do that. Lord Jesus, we, um, I'm just motivated. I'm inspired by um, where I am and when I am, and I get to play this part. Lord, I'd ask that you would call us to be a church that is ready to respond, that we would hear your voice. If things are changing again like they were in the 60s, boy, it looks a lot like the 60s. Cities are burning. Countries divided. And then you caused an American awakening. Lord, I'd, I'd ask that you would do that again. And that's not up to us, but if you do do that again, Lord, I'd ask that our church would be not entangled by traditions or prejudice or preferences or comfort, that we would respond in any way to do anything with anyone just to be part of your will. God, would you give us a taste of the abundant life so that we might be part of a God thing and that would be that what we become addicted to, always wanting to be back, serving our king as individuals and as a church. Make us, make us like that. Tell us three times the way it ought to be. We'll get up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Grace. Hey, if you'll uh, let the ushers dismiss you and keep your masks on, on while you're on campus, that'd be a great thing. We'll see you guys next week for our last week together in this, in this series.